hey this is my intro welcome to culture clash guys i hope you guys have a great time and you enjoy the content we put out and make sure to visit our webpage at www.cultureclash.com and remember it's c-u-l-t-u-r-e-c-c-l-a-s-h thanks for checking in Hey guys, what is up? How has it been going? Welcome back to Culture Clash. My name's Tanisha, and I am going to be your host for um, today's episode. Actually, I am the host for every episode, but um, yeah, since this is our first official episode, thought I would just come in here, introduce myself real quick, so... What's up? My name's Tanisha. I'm a Bengali high schooler. I'm going into my junior year this year, and I don't have any friends. So instead of complaining about random problems to people that I know, I just complained to the voice memos app on my iPhone, and this time I just took an extra step by publishing it. So yeah, that's my story. So last time I mentioned that we'd kind of be delving into the topic of the AP exams, but before we get into that, I just want to give a quick shameless self-promo. So, guys ready for this? I don't think you are. So I basically run an organization called South Asians Artists Column. It's basically where South Asians can go ahead and post any work they want to, like creative work, so you know that they can get their stuff out there, they can get it published, because a lot of times South Asians don't necessarily have their community support when going into artistic careers, because you know how it is, if you're not a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, you have no value in society. So, um, yeah, that's what led me to create this kind of organization or publishing group, And if you guys are interested, you guys can totally check it out. I will link it in the description of this podcast. And without further ado, let's just jump right into it. So, the AP exams this year. Um, Needless to say, they were absolute bullshit. It was the most BS I have ever encountered. Like, the most BS, like I'm not even kidding. The only thing more bullshit than the examinations this year would be literal bullshit. So I took a lot of APs this year. Um, My school is very AP reliant. Our school makes you take a bunch of AP credits if you want to graduate. So I had to take a lot of classes this year. I have known about the AP system for a while and I started in it since the eighth grade. So I took two APs in the eighth grade two APs in the ninth grade, and this year in the 10th grade, I took six AP examinations, and it was a lot. And you know, initially I thought like, hey, if I just study, I could handle it. But, you know, then the coronavirus lockdown happened, and the format of the test completely changed, so, you know, I was kind of relying on College Board to pull out like a sensible option card and be like, you know what, you guys, like, you can take the exams, like, you know, next year, you know, we'll make up for it, or we'll postpone it to August, but nope, you know, they just, uh, they just move them online, and, uh, you know, it wasn't the best decision that they can make, it was, it was not the best decision that they can make, but I still dealt with it, because I kind of needed the AP credits to boost up some of my classes, 
So yeah, moving in online wasn't necessarily the issue. It was just the way they dealt with it. The way College Board dealt with online AP examinations was an absolute mess. Like it was mind-boggling how messy it was. It's like probably the worst exam I've ever taken in my life. So for people who have no idea what I'm ranting about right now or what College Board is, let me give you a quick rundown. They're basically a 501c nonprofit organization that has control over probably the most important tests a high schooler in the United States can take in their educational career or academic career. They have control over the SAT and AP exams. So basically they produce these tests and they hire people to grade their tests, these tests. So first some statistics as to how many people really take these examinations and like how big of a deal they are in the US. Over 20 million high schoolers take the SAT in the United States just in the last year in hopes of, you know, getting the glory that is the National Merit Scholarship. And 1.23 million students took over 4 million AP exams just in 2019. So why are these tests so freaking important? Like, why are students taking them in literal droves? So, college, basically. So if you get a 1590 on the SAT, which is a big if, given college boards, like, current grading system, which is really messed up, but if you do get a 1590 and you have nice glowing letters of recommendation and a really good weighted GPA, you basically have eligibility for a majority of Ivy Leagues and the National Merit Scholarship, which can give you a discount if you go to a school within your state. If you show that you've taken advanced courses through the AP examination system and excelled at them, it looks really great on your resume and you get to skip basic college courses because once you score a four or a five out of the one to five AP exam grading system, you get a college credit. Now using these college credits, you can skip out on basic classes. Did I mention it also looks really nice on your resume? So in short, SAT and AP exams have kind of become synonymous to the success of a high school student. And without these tests, you have little to no value in the college admissions process. Now, there's like a very slow movement towards SAT-free admissions. Like, I know a lot of schools, like I think a lot of UCs, I know UCSD for sure has started to move away um, from that SAT system, and they're actually mandating their own exam if you want to go to a UC in California. Now, not a lot of schools have done this, but also a lot of Ivy Leagues are also making a push towards that direction, like Stanford, Harvard, etc. So SATs are definitely starting to become less and less prevalent, but for now, it's still considered best if a student takes the exam and does well on it. Also, there's a scholarship opportunity within the exam that could benefit somebody from the lower class if they necessarily don't have the means to get themselves to a good college. So. Yeah, these exams are still a pretty big deal, even though there's a push away from them right now. They're still viewed as the key to success, and they open a lot of doors for opportunity and scholarships. And that's why parents and students alike will basically do anything to get that perfect score. This mindset is what allows for just a test, just a regular old standardized test like the SAT, to turn into an entire industry. Programs like Boston Academy, which is kind of a tutoring group, 
private tutoring where somebody will come to your house or one-on-one sessions online, you know, and they'll privately tutor you. And SAT and AP practice books, like the Princeton Review, earn money through these tests, basically. And they'll do so by putting out ads for parents and students on Facebook and other platforms like that with some side of moniker which says, like, one of our students in 2002 got into Harvard. And, of course, that's enough for parents and students to kind of be brought into uh, the financial trap that is these programs. So parents will enroll their kids in these programs without even asking them and be like, well, you're here now, might as well just deal with it. But, you know, none of this can happen without an additional fee because nothing comes without a price. I feel like we've already established this by now in a capitalist economy. So Here's the price points. On average, an SAT course costs close to $1,800 for just one month. Private tutoring ranges around 200 bucks an hour, and even study guides can cost up to $50. That is a lot of money. Like seriously, that's a lot of money, especially for somebody from the lower class. Now, I've already mentioned that SATs give out national merit scholarships, and a lot of the people who need that scholarship belong to the lower or middle class where their parents might not necessarily have that much money set aside for college so they will strive to attain that scholarship but the issue is is that they're at a disadvantage college board system is kind of messed up in that way it'll claim to be advantaging or giving advantageous opportunities to people of the lower class but to get a good score you have to be able to access resources which might only be available to somebody of the upper class or upper middle class like private tutoring and these SAT course catalogs and these practice tests thing like things like that because a lot of the time these things can't be accessed without paying a hefty fee and students who obviously belong to a lower socioeconomical status can't afford that So I'm going to be mentioning this throughout today's kind of talk. SATs and AP examinations claim to benefit people of the lower class, but in reality, they're only benefiting people who can access the resources to get good scores. And that's not simply a book you can find at your school or any library. You have to pay money to get these resources. And that's kind of College Board's whole monopoly. So, this is a point that I'm going to be reiterating throughout this entire talk. But, anyways, through this short lecture upon the origins of College Board's importance and essentially how they kind of monetize their whole business, we can point out two major things. APs and SATs are considered to be life-changing examinations for many students across the board, And these exams are more than just a test. They are an entire industry. So, reeling it back into the original topic, the 2020 AP examinations. So, under the guide of David Coleman, the CEO of College Board, they were held online. Even though IB and ACT, the better alternatives to College Board, were canceled. The AP exams, depending on which class, would either have one or two free response questions in 45 minutes and would be open note. 
College Board would post a revised syllabus that got rid of subject matter students may not have covered in school. Now, what I just read out is basically kind of what College Board posted on their extremely hard to navigate website and on like a general newsletter to parents and students who kind of like parents whose students were taking the test and students who had their email like in College Board system. So this is just a breakdown of their initial statement. So this is not a bad plan. You know, this is pretty solid. It's not too bad after all. And maybe College Board made a sensible decision for once. Wrong. So first of all, starting off this chain reaction of just a series of unfortunate events, let's call it that. First of all, College Board posted a syllabus on their webpage, which was only left up for one week. One single week. A lot of students, including myself, only saw the official College Board syllabus once, and I doubt every single one of us took a screenshot of it. And then we all had to hunt for random bits of information on the internet and through YouTubers. Okay, so they messed up once. They took off the syllabus too early, could have been a system error. They still have redeemable qualities. The test is open note after all. So why does syllabus matter? If there is one examination College Board would get a five on, it is deceiving and making their students cash cows. The idea of open note is essentially a lie. In a 45 minute time frame between writing and reading an essay question, a student would maybe have a few minutes to reference their notes. And I experienced this firsthand in all six of my exams. So College Board wanted their students to study and not hand out easy fives. There's virtually nothing wrong with that. So I guess we can kind of disregard it. So we've gone over kind of College Board's initial statement. Some people were concerned about the 45 minute time frame. It was a little bit too short for two free response questions, but you know, we'll get into that part a little bit later. But yeah, we've basically gone over everything College Board detailed themselves. But what about one little, you know, not really little, one major aspect of online examinations. Now, I don't have an actual statistic for this, but I'm pretty sure since the inevitable lockdown and quarantine, cheating rates among students have gone up by at least 300%. So, how would College Board handle cheating and dishonesty? What is stopping a kid from calling up their friends and asking for answers? Enter the infamous Dinosaurs 313 possibly the most hated Discord slash Reddit user in all of existence. Now, just a quick little statement before I delve into the section. I don't condone cheating. I've been guilty of being suspiciously ill the same day as a test, you know, a couple of times, but not straight up copying answers or using the internet from another student. Well, no, not straight up copying answers from another student or using the internet. You can't use the internet from another student, but... Yeah, I haven't really straight up cheated. No, most of the time I'll simply just skip a test because that's just me. I don't have the guts to actually cheat on something. So back to the point, College Board had stated or I think they circulated their own rumors that they put in measures to make sure that students didn't cheat. Saying that they cross-checked with teachers about students' handwriting potentially, rumored online proctoring, recording your tests, potential Zoom calls, but we don't know if that really came into fruition, and I highly doubt it did, because for a lot of these practices, like rumored online proctoring, recording your tests, and potential Zoom calls, students would have to be aware. Like, they'd have to be aware this was going on, 
or they'd have to sign a waiver or something where they consented to college board recording them taking the test. But there was no such waiver sent out. And even if you read the terms that College Board has, and I actually read through it, there's absolutely nothing on there about like you consenting to having somebody record your test, you know? So College Board didn't exactly um, detail or, you know, didn't really, uh, didn't really say anything much about cheating. So we don't know how College Board exactly caught cheaters or if they caught any cheaters in the first place. But there's a little bit of discourse on this statement. So on May 10th of 2020, Trevor Packer, who's one of the main people at College Board, I think he manages the tests over there, he issued out a statement on his Twitter saying, and I quote, We've just canceled the AP exam registrations of a ring of students who are developing plans to cheat and we're currently investigating others. It is not worth the risk of having your name reported to college admissions offices. So... A lot of students were confused when they saw this tweet. I was also really confused. How did College Board catch a ring of students trying to cheat? Where? How? What? You know, like, we were all so confused. Like, are they pulling an FBI? Are they watching us through their phones? Like, what is going on? It was before the test. Like, mind you, this was before the test. And a lot of students were like, they haven't even taken the test yet. You know, how did they, like, manage to catch people planning to cheat? So... A lot of people were really confused, and then I got to know what was happening from a close friend of mine. He shared a video with me talking about Dinosauce 313, a fake user who created a channel called AP Exams 2020 for students to join. Now, it is said that it encourages students to commit academic integrity violations, and posting to this community or taking part in the discussions could jeopardize students' exam scores according to sources such as earlyapscores.com, which are partners with College Board. But if you read the description on the server, it states, it's a place for students to share materials regarding the test. Nothing about cheating. Sharing materials regarding the test, that single statement over over there can mean anything. It can mean sharing notes before the test, which is not cheating. It can mean sharing, you know, maybe diagrams, like while they're studying group study sessions through like a discord server like there was nothing about cheating on there but you know it's it's said by other sources or partners of college board that it was so basically the best bet a lot of people had is that college board had made a fake server to try and trick students into cheating to try and goad students into cheating So when the server was created, it was actually pretty popular. Thousands of stressed students, in fact, joined the server, but they soon found something fishy. Dinosaurs313 was full on saying, hey guys, we should cheat in the most blatant and candid way ever, and had some strangely repetitive messages about cheating, which seemed to be coming from a bot. A lot of people on Twitter were saying that, like, not even millennials talk like that. It was like, Dude, it's either a bot or, like, some boomer who's running this account. So a lot of people were like, what's going on? Like, is the server fake? Because this user seems pretty much like a bot. So a lot of people were flooding kind of Trevor Packer's tweet in the comment section with questions about, like, who is Dinosauce 313? What are they doing? Why is this here? Like, is he a bot? Is he not? Is he being run by College Board? So... 
Needless to say, after the rumor kind of spread that the server was fake and College Board was actually managing it to catch students in the process of cheating, most people left the server. And it is said on the day of the test that College Board opened up their fake server to just reveal a flood of memes and internet trolls. And their hopes to find actual cheaters were crushed. College Board basically wanted to catch cheaters, and there's virtually no issue with that. But the way they went about doing it is a real issue. They tried to trick students into joining a random server, saying that it was a place for them to share materials which necessarily does not have to be cheating, and they used scare tactics to get into students' heads about catching a ring of students cheating. Because First-hand testimonies from students who actually physically joined the server stated that nothing happened to their scores and they were still able to take the exam. College Board tried to pull a fast one on their students, and this is not the first time or the last time that they'll do this. So here's a quick recap of everything they've done so far. They removed the syllabus after the week, and they tried to catch cheaters using an extremely flawed system. So. Although I could talk for ages about faulty pre-test issues with College Board, I'm going to move on to during the test. In short, College Board was not equipped. On test day, students went to sign in 30 minutes before their exam as required, and some people didn't even receive a sign-in link. Students did enter the testing room, and questions were there. They were supposed to answer them and submit them. Now, here's the issue. Plot twist, a lot of people could not submit their test. Why? because College Board's servers were overloaded. For a multi-million dollar corporation, oh wait, sorry, I meant 501c nonprofit, their servers were absolute trash. They took about five to 10 minutes to fully load and submit. For many students, the tests crashed all in all. Tests wouldn't turn in, and students were having full-on mental breakdowns in front of their computer. I have first-hand experience of this, my AP calculus exam, had some issues turning in and it managed to turn in at the last minute but i was straight up screaming i was like crying i was like dad like can you come and help me my laptop's being slow was the wi-fi working you know it was just an all-around mess the obvious issue is that college board made a faulty testing environment in this whole situation but there's a real problem that's lurking behind the scenes Remember how I said that I would reiterate that College Board doesn't actually help low-income students? Here it is again. Students with good internet connection, access to a proper laptop that doesn't have issues crashing, and the technology to submit photos and prior experience with Google Docs were at an obvious advantage. Now, people with access to good Wi-Fi, a nice laptop, these resources obviously come from, you know, middle or upper class. People who are in lower income situations can obviously not afford the same things these people can. The people being harmed here are the exact same demographic College Board or CB claims to help. Again, CB exams can change your life and your resume. And if you belong to the lower class and succeed, your chances at college become higher and higher. But College Board use resources which many don't have accessibility to. The underprivileged can no longer take the exams. They don't get college credits that have the power to improve their quality of life and their chances of getting into a good college. To top it off, these questions are not your run-of-the-mill FRQ. For reference, you have close to an hour and a half 
to read and answer maybe two of these free response questions on the actual AP. You have 45 minutes per FRQ with around four to five parts. College Board gave students 30 minutes and 25 minutes to do close to eight to 10 parts on a question, including turn-in time. Most students who worked their ass off couldn't finish questions because College Board expected length and detail in the amount of time they gave us. I finished with maybe 30 to one minute left to spare and prayed the submission button worked for each of my examinations. Bad servers, ineffective technology, impossible questions. College Board had seriously outdone themselves trying to make these tests a living hell for students. Literally everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Now we're gonna move on to after the test. Here's another important point. The format of the test has changed. The grading system is obviously not going to be the same as a regular AP exam. The point system was disclosed to students by College Board, vaguely. For each exam, College Board said scores would be attributed based on how well the student did, and essentially offered unlimited ones, twos, threes, fours, and fives. Now, most of the time, College Board operates on a curve and has statistics. Only a certain number can get a five, and so on and so forth. Regular AP exams have always functioned this way, no matter how much College Board wants to deny it. So, when students signed in to check on their scores on July 15th, they were greeted with surprisingly higher or lower scores, and nobody knew what College Board had done. Until it was discovered through a TikTok and an Instagram post by College Board, a girl who had posted an image of a middle finger on her exam had gotten a 3, Meanwhile, somebody who had answered both questions properly had gotten a one. Now let's consider all the hypotheticals here. Maybe the person's answers were absolute trash. They were horrible. We don't know. But the person who posted the image that warranted at least a two. They were missing more than half the points on the test. More and more students came out, confused about their scores. Students who had BSed bio had gotten fives and who studied like hell for literature ended up with twos and vice versa. College Board ended up publishing stats on their Instagram, and they were oddly similar to the past couple of years, leading people to believe College Board had once again randomly assigned scores to keep stats the same, and not give out easy fives and fours. So, record stretch, wait a minute, let me explain something. Why does College Board hate giving out good scores? Better scores make better rep, right? Wrong. College Board, just listen to that name, College Board. Board. The first word is college. College board at the end of the day is providing college credit. The more fives, the more classes students in college can skip out on, and the less money colleges earn from students paying for those classes. If every student got a five on the exam, colleges would earn marginally less because students wouldn't be paying for basic classes such as humanities anymore. We've already established College Board as an industry that just so happens to be connected to one of the largest sources of debt in America, college. College Board knows how important college is, probably because of the namesake. It is called College Board at the end of the day. So they offer you second chances. College Board offers retakes. Do you want to retake a test because you got a two? That's great but fork over an extra $95 while you're at it. A lot of students didn't understand their scores. So College Board can reconsider them, right? Absolutely. But you have to pay an extra fee 
of 35 bucks. One AP exam costs $95, almost $100 for an examination. But these exams are important, so I guess people can let it slide. And most years they come with multiple choice and overall more content. A little bit of side note in this section, take into account the statistics I said before. One AP exam costs $95. We as students take over 4 million AP exams a year. 95 into 4 million equals a lot of zeros, and that's not even accounting the SAT. So that's a lot of money that students have to pay. SATs are normally free, but if you want to take an essay section, which is generally approved by college, you know, you have to pay extra money. So that's my little side note over there. That's how College Board gets that much money, and that's why I don't consider them a nonprofit. I'd rather consider them an institution or even a monopoly. So back to the point. This year, College Board shortened the test to 45 minutes and only two questions. So students shouldn't have to pay the regular 95 bucks. Less test equals less money. Again, wrong. The logic, correct. But there were zero refunds for the test. We all had to pay the same amount and international students suffered the most still having to pay a shipping cost of an exam, even though nothing was even shipped. To touch upon the topic of international AP students, by the way, most of them had to get up at 3 a.m., 12 a.m., or 4 a.m. to take an examination, because College Board, even though they made multiple different versions at the end of the day, did not want to make a different time for international students, just in case they cheated, putting them at a disadvantage. Now, I believe a YouTuber talked about this. They set up a petition and everything, and they even sent College Board an email. But College Board simply replied with that they were prioritizing students who lived on the East Coast and in the United States in general. So, in case you dozed off, what can you take from this? College Board is trash. It's an absolute mess. It's a rolling dumpster fire of poor management and stealing money from students. So... Why can't students pull a boycott, jump ship, ignore College Board altogether? If we don't give them our money, they'll be sure to fall apart. Now, there are alternatives to College Board, the IB program and ACT Incorporation. But unfortunately, these programs do not hold the same amount of value and are not as projected in high school, at least in America. When I first heard of the IB program, it was from my French teacher talking about her daughter, who now goes to school like somewhere in Canada, not from any administration or website. That should say something about how much importance these programs hold in the United States. And if it doesn't say something like, let me break it down for you in simple terms, it basically means that they're worthless. They're useless. The IB programs can in fact sometimes be more expensive than APs, however. Recently a college, sorry, not college board, recently a school board in Toronto imposed that parents would have to pay a $3,000 fee for their child to be in the IB program. Now, it's free in most schools in Canada. This development is fairly recent. But disregarding that, IB programs can still be expensive, and I have a very strong inclination that if it came to America, literally land of monopolies and uh, big institutions that just love to steal money from students, they'd have to pay a lot of money in order to be in the IB program. So 
Hypothetically, say the IB program comes to the U.S., students have to pay a 3K fee. Not appeasing, right? It's seriously not, like, the most amicable option there is. So, there's still ACT testing. And over time, ACT tests have started to gain more traction in mathematics and science careers. But it's still not enough to unbalance kind of the overlord that is College Board. College Board is a monopoly hiding under dis- the disguise of being a nonprofit, and they push these ideas onto guidance counselors and high schools by sending out memos saying that SATs are preferred to ACTs, pretty much anything to drive students away from finding alternatives. Their CEO earns over a million dollars per year, and they essentially leech money off of test takers at every turn, with retakes wanting to get your score attested, even taking the test in the first place, generating millions upon millions of dollars in revenue, going straight into the pockets of people who have probably never touched the standardized hell the AP exams are. So, what can we do to stop College Board spread? In short, we really cannot do much. These exams are still pivotal in our schools, Starting not pivotal, they're still pivotal in our schools. What we can do is start advocating for a change in options and talk to counselors more about IB and ACT programs, opening up options for students who potentially want to look into other forms of testing. Getting rid of College Board and abolishing it, in a sense, isn't something that's going to happen in a year. And the people listening to this podcast may have already graduated and forgotten about the high school and the terror of College Board exams by the time that actually happens. But the steps and actions we can take can start today. For more more information on AP alternatives and how to introduce options for your school, head over to our webpage, culturecclash.com, or culturecclash.com. Stay cool. I'll see you guys next week, and have a really nice day. For next week's topic, we're going to be digging into a little bit of a topic that's kind of been plaguing the Netflix industry and specifically the Desi community for the past couple of weeks. The show Indian Matchmaking and the Horrors of Seema Auntie. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you guys next time.